Jedi Council is a podcast for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast where we like to explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. This is your fall-loving graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton. And your occasionally fall-down-the-stairs Jedi Council co-host, Katie Gordon. Oh, I don't like that kind of fall, though. I like the outside <laughs> no, season. No, no, I know. <laughs> I feel so terrible now. <laughs> it's okay. It's been, my ankle is starting to heal. It's not completely okay. better. It's wrapped, but nothing serious. But you're on a rapid road to recovery? Or at least a road to recovery? <laughs> Some might say that. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. You're, I notice you're not elevating it this week. So no, I should be recording. though. Actually, oh, it's okay. just a matter of not really being in a good position. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> sometimes sacrifices have to be made for podcasting. I guess this is just one of There's those. There's just days. not a convenient place. <laughs> How are you doing on this? Well, I guess it's a Wednesday afternoon. I used we used to always record and release on Fridays, but it's so much easier to record a couple days in, earlier. But just. No matter what the day is, how are you doing on this afternoon? I'm doing well. I like when we get to do episodes that people suggest to us, mm-hmm. and this episode was suggested to us by someone who wanted, has, it was such a great question, so um, us folks who like to geek out about things sometimes collect stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have any particular things that you would say you collect related to your geeky interests? You know, I've, so... As you know, I'm going to be moving for internship and not Mm -hmm. too long. So I recently kind of went through and got rid of some stuff I didn't need and tried to really put the halt on my collecting in a little bit. But there are some things that I collect. So certainly comic books and graphic Mm -hmm. novels I like to collect. And uh, other than that, I just really sort of just general kind of like, I don't know, I have like a lot of old action figures, Batman ones from when I was little. I've got some, like, hero clicks, which are a little, uh, just, they're for a game that you can play that I don't actually know how to play, but I like the figures. I like those. Um, but that's probably mostly at comics and comic-related, uh, merchandise, I guess. Yeah, how about you? I really like Pop Funkos. Mm. I have about six in my office. I probably have another... 10 oh. or 15 at home. Okay. I like those. I also collect comic books. And I think those are the main geeky things that I collect. I don't actually collect things like DVDs or Blu-rays mm. as much as I used to. Unless it's something I really like just because of streaming mm. services and space. And I actually, when I moved on to internship back when I was in graduate school, I had... A pretty small Hyundai Elantra, and basically anything that didn't fit in my car I got rid of. So that was a good chance to get rid of stuff. I do still have, in terms of things with sentimental value, I do have some things like high school journals or notes or cards, even Mm -hmm. birthday cards from when I was young. I do have, I do tend to hold on to those types of things. And I don't print a lot of pictures like a lot of people now no. because they're saved digitally but from when i was younger i have a lot of photographs that i've held on oh, to really cool. so those are the main things that i keep and i still have a few boxes of stuff like that i also have a box of cards now that you say that i've forgotten about that I, there's something about a card when someone takes the time to like pick one out and, and actually write something in it i have a hard time just reading it and tossing it so i usually i have a box that i stick them in and uh 
I, maybe someday I'll look at them and I'll enjoy them. It's not. It's just a small box in my closet, but yeah. Whenever too. I move and I come across that box, I'm always happy to kind of read yeah. some of those things and revisit some of the things. And some of it's silly too, like, like I said, uh, they're just notes that we wrote each other during high school class or something like yeah. that. I would keep not you and I, but we right. didn't go to high school together. <laughs> the <clerk> but, and <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but friends in high school. So so anyway, those are the main things. So the question, which I kind mm-hmm. of veered off of before even finishing, was. Um, what's the difference? Where do you draw the line between collecting and hoarding things? And so that's really going to be the focus of the show. But I, I like when we can really communicate directly with people who are following us on Twitter and who, um, make these suggestions and be responsive to that. So I'm really excited about this. And actually I'm not, I wasn't totally familiar with hoarding disorder as compared to other disorders. So researching and preparing for this show, I helped me to understand more deeply some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Absolutely, me too. I actually looked at the wrong section of the DSM when oh. I was trying to find it. I was like, where is that hoarding disorder? So it, you're right. It's not one of these ones that I open up to very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not one of uh, a major depressive disorder where I can just kind of rattle it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one that I, I learned a couple of things and I think it would be really worthwhile. And uh, like you said, it's so fun to connect with people and get some of that feedback in those topics. Yeah, so how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really, really pretty good today, yeah. Uh, I'm enjoying the cool fall weather. Um, just, I mean, that's mostly it, I guess. Not a huge update. Getting some work done, feeling good, ready to podcast. All right. Yeah, can't really beat that mood. No, that's really good. I want to give a shout out. Please. Can I do that? It's to our friend Murray on Twitter. And he, so we should give a little bit of background. We did those three Rick and Morty podcast episodes and we talked about it on hashtag SPSM suicide mm-hmm. prevention, social media, which is a recurring YouTube show on every Sunday. Check it out. It's really good. Um, and we got to talk about Rick and Morty on that as well. And so there seemed to be interest in developing a whole new podcast that just focuses on Rick and Morty. So we started a Patreon account for fundraising just to raise money to host a Rick and Morty podcast series. So if people are interested, you can become a Patreon for, I think it's, you can do a dollar a month. So it's $12 mm-hmm. a year and that helps us just pay for hosting fees. But the reason I want to give a shout out, I'm doing these weird things where I'm like starting a sentence, veering off and coming back to it. So I hope people follow me. It's a perfect sandwich. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that I, I just want to thank Murray because he designed a potential what would you call it? Thumbnail? Thumbnail, he called it. That's the technical term. I think that is. We're not we're not artists and no, we're, not we're not very tech savvy. No, I'll tell so. you what, I couldn't make that in Microsoft Paint. So I couldn't even imagine it. No, like, I I just not take No, creative. that's why I asked about this process. But anyway, Murray out of the kindness of his heart just made this really cool design of a potential thing we could use if we do a Rick and Morty podcast. So we're going to post that and share it with you all because it's just too cool not to share. And we want to give a special thanks to Murray. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to include his username. He said that's totally okay. okay. To his Instagram and Twitter page, he posts some art on there. Uh, so he's, uh, th- th- we can give him as much credit as he wants exactly. because my gosh, it's so incredible. So uh, a huge shout out and a huge thank you. And uh, yeah. And I, the handle is at T H E 
M-U-Z-Z-M-C yes. on Instagram and Twitter. Yes, and we'll include that when we share the uh, thumbnail too. Yes. But yeah, just so cool and so exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, also just thanks, we've got a couple folks on our Patreon page. So yeah, like Katie said, we're, we're thinking and, and starting to kind of put together the pieces of a Rick and Morty podcast that'll just take a look at the underlying psychology of every episode uh, just to defray some of the uh, hosting costs and, and microphone stuff. Uh, we just have something up there just to, if you're interested and willing to support, we really appreciate that. Yes, and we should, so we have a couple more things, but I yes. promise we're going to get to hoarding and collecting soon. Re- related to our patrons on Patreon, <laughs> we made an error last week and we need to correct that. We're not above admitting when we have a goof, and we goofed last <laughs> week. Uh, we gave another one of our classic Jedi Council shoutouts to the at panel to panel pod folks, uh, panel to panel podcast. As it turns out, there's a similar group that has a similar name, and we actually gave a shout out to the wrong one. The folks who are kind enough to become new patrons and, and support the new podcast that we're doing, their username is, again, I'll say it, at panel to panel pod. And uh, contrary to what we said last week, what they actually are, it's four friends from North California who've come together to talk about conventions, cosplay, comics, geek culture, and just whatever other interests that they have. So uh, they're doing some pretty cool stuff. They've got a fun Twitter page. Uh, they've got a fun podcast. And they also have their own Patreon page where you can check out more of what they're working on and you can support their show and their projects. So. We'll link to the correct... Well, we did link to the right one. We just gave the wrong yes, description last time. We described it wrong. So, sorry. <laughs> Definitely sorry. But thank you for bringing it to our attention, yes. panel to panel. And so nicely, too. Yes. They could have easily roasted us. They did. They could have. They could have withdrawn their support, they sure but they were very nice. They were so. very gracious. So, so yes. check them out. And I think we have one last sort of housekeeping thing on the agenda before we get started, right? We, yes. We did want to mention that, mm-hmm. you know, we're part of the Geek Therapy Network, which is great to be a part of. Oh, it's a network of people who do a lot of things, including Brandon has started a streaming mm-hmm. on Twitch so that people can go and watch him play video games yeah, and have discussion. All about mental health. Yeah, it's just a place. I'm really just there as a medium. Uh, the focus is not the games, really. We're, what we want to get it to is a focus where it's just a place to come talk about mental health or just have a place to come talk. Yeah, yeah so the Geek Therapy Network hosts that and numerous podcasts. The person who founded geek therapy is Josue Cardona and he wanted to let everyone know that the shows are going to be um, geek therapy podcasts psych tech podcasts and headshots podcasts are on hold while he deals with the aftermath of Hurricane Maria so he tweeted that out today and we just wanted to say that our thoughts are with him we really hope that um, the people in Puerto Rico get the help that they need and are okay. And then he'll yeah, be back absolutely. in business knowing him. Yeah, absolutely. Our thoughts are the host way and everyone. Yeah, we just hope that everything's going uh, as, as well as possible. And uh, and it's just uh, it's just so devastating. So If you're wondering how to help, one way to help pe- individuals in Puerto Rico right now has been um, Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton mm-hmm. and other fame. And just nice guy fame. Oh, just an awesome person. He's yeah. a great guy. You. I'm not going to get on a Hamilton tangent. I almost did. Continue. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so, anyway, he, he's helped to raise some money at hispanicfederation.org backslash donate. So, if you're able to give anything, that's one possible way to help out. Absolutely. Yeah, we can't encourage that enough. So, all right. I think that's all of our housekeeping for today. I have a meeting in 45 minutes, so let's 
just put the pedal to the metal and get cruising on hoarding disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, uh, the impetus for this episode, of course, was on Twitter. We got asked, when does collecting items or, or collecting things from a fandom become hoarding? And what an awesome question that is. And if you ever have questions like that, we can't encourage asking enough. It really is. Uh, we'd love to, to sort of cover that stuff. So uh, should we just sort of jump off and talking about just what is hoarding disorder? That's kind yeah. of our, our usual jumping off point. Yeah, so the hoarding is in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic mm-hmm. and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the classification system that is used by many mental health professionals. And it appears within the, it's it's got, uh, it's grouped with the Obsessive, Compulsive, and Related Disorders section. And the types of disorders in that group are Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, Trichotillomania, which refers to hair pulling body dysmorphic disorder, which is preoccupation with one or more perceived physical defects or flaws in one's appearance that are not observable to other people or that is very slight to others, and excoriation disorder, which has to do with skin picking. And so these disorders all have differences, but they have some commonalities, Mm -hmm. and that's why they tend to group them together. Often, for example, they include repetitive behaviors that can lead to significant distress and impairment. Yeah, absolutely. Should we just quickly uh, go through some of the diagnostic criteria, do you think? Um, So there are a few different diagnostic criteria, and and like with other disorders, these are just the various components that really make up or determine whether or not the individual uh, is really fits within the conceptualization of the disorder. So the first one is a persistent difficulty discarding or parting with possessions uh, regardless of their actual value. So if there's things that they're keeping that might not, might be worthless. Uh, so we've got some examples later on, but things like newspapers or things like that, stacks of newspapers where they just have a hard time getting rid of them. They've, they're keeping them. They've got stacks of them. They're all over the place, maybe getting in the way of, uh, of getting around or things like that. So that's the first uh, diagnostic criteria. The persistent Persistent part is key here, mm-hmm. too, because there sometimes individuals, for example, I have heard of cases where there's a person who's lost someone, mm-hmm. someone close to them has died, and they hold on to a lot of their belongings for a certain period of time related to bereavement. But the persistent focus is on how long is this going on? Is it a significant amount of time? Because some of this might be normative, or for example, Um, The DSM includes in it that if you've recently inherited a property that has a bunch of stuff, sometimes this is also goes with, you know, losing a loved one, that there might be a certain period of time where it's hard to get rid of things or know what to get rid of. And that's not what hoarding is really focused on. It's really focusing on when something is just continually happening because you don't want to say that someone has a mental health problem when they're kind of responding to a new life event or stressor Mm -hmm. in a way that is understandable in this situation. Uh, The second criterion is difficulty due to perceived need to save the items and and having distress associated with discarding them. And so, as Brandon mentioned, this can be things like sometimes that don't have any clear value, like you save every piece of mail that you ever mm-hmm. got and you feel like you have to keep it and you're worried about getting rid of it because the idea is that you might someday need to look back at that. But when we're talking about things like collections or something like that, it's understandable that you wouldn't want to get rid of a collectible item or you might be distressed if you had someone said, Katie, you have to get rid of all of your pop Funkos or all of the cards you have from your friends and family over the years, then I would be distressed. And that's why I hold on to that thought because... 
later on the criteria is going to talk about what makes it different from a collecting or kind of normative behavior. Yeah, absolutely. So the third one is the difficulty discarding possessions results in the accumulation of possessions that can just clutter active living areas and substantially compromises their intended use. So if the living areas are uncluttered, it's only because of the interventions of third parties. So for example, that could be family members or cleaners or authorities even who have to get involved because of potential safety problems. Yeah, so that's one way that getting to the main question about how mm-hmm. hoarding is different than collecting items, that if it results, and, and what Brandon and I are doing, these symptom criteria are right from the DSM, oh, what, yeah, we're, we're, what we're talking about. And so if someone can't use their kitchen or their hallways, so if the using, the, again, the Pop Funko example, <laughs> we're not sponsored by them. Although uh, I yes. wish we were. <laughs> but if if my if I couldn't walk through my hallway mm-hmm. because it was just crowded with that kind of stuff, so it can be something of some what value, like figurines or comic books or something like that. But if it's to the point where you aren't able to cook or use your bathroom or be in hallways, then that's a particular problem. One of the examples that was sent to us of someone who might be potentially a hoarder is the Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. Ariel. And one thing that would rule her out from hoarding, in my opinion, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, is that she does collect a bunch of stuff that has sentimental value, but not really monetary value. But it's not congesting or cluttering an active living area. Mm -hmm. She has it kind of in a separate location of secret hiding spot. Mm -hmm. And so even though there's a lot of stuff that she collects that's discarded by others, it's not really interfering with her ability to live and lead a healthy life. Yeah, absolutely. Another example, too, uh, that was suggested just that I think falls under a similar uh, rule out for a similar reason is the collector. And even the person who suggested said, you know, fortunately he has the space for all of it. Because I think I'm only familiar with the collector from the uh, movies, and I think the collectors are actually a group of people in the comics. But he has a, a, a massive spaceship, I think, where he keeps all the various... I think he collects, like, beings and items, so... Yeah, and so. that's from our our Twitter friends at Gaming the Mind. Yeah, that is yeah, Gaming the Mind. Yeah, their, good good call. That was their example. You know, and you had mentioned in the past Batman has a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but he certainly has a lot of space for his stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in the back cave, you're exactly right. He has a T Rex and a gigantic penny, and he has the suits of the various Robins who have served with him. Uh, depending on the iteration, he keeps uh, the movie or the theater stubs, ticket stubs from his parents, uh, the name of their murder. So, yeah, he's a lot of things, but uh, but yeah, you're right. It's it's sort of all put in a uh, in the cave, and the cave is pretty substantially large, so it it doesn't really fit into that clutter or or congestion of the active living area, uh, or um, gets into our next uh, criterion. Yeah, either, I think, and too. Lego Batman doesn't have trouble making lobster thermidor, for example. <laughs> That's true. His Jeez. favorite meal in the I gotta, microwave. I gotta pick up that movie. It's great. It is. It's fantastic. Yeah. So the so the next one has to do with causing clinically significant mm-hmm. distress. What we mean by that is that someone's not just kind of a little bit bothered by it, but it bothers them a lot to the point where it's really affecting their quality of life. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of people who hoard three quarters of individuals are estimated to also have an anxiety or depression disorder. It doesn't necessarily come after the hoarding, but they can exacerbate each other. It can come before or after or during. Or impairment. So it's possible also some individuals, and if you've seen the television show, the reality show, Hoarders, you see a lot of variability in how distressed people are. And some of that has to do with insight. So for this 
type for the diagnostic criteria, it can be distress or impairment. It doesn't, they don't have to acknowledge distress. They could have not really understand how bad things are around mm -hmm. them despite their learning. So the impairment can be in social, occupational, or other areas of functioning. For example, do they have a safe enough living place for their kids and for themselves? Is it sanitary? Mm -hmm. If they're hoarding food and unwilling to get rid of expired food or things like that, or get rid of garbage or things like that, is it to the point where they could really get ill? Sometimes, as mentioned earlier, it, it involves authorities having to step in. And that's one of the really sad things on that Reality show hoarders is when you see kids unable to live with their parents because of the hoarding. It's, it's really tragic. I remember a case uh, from my first practicum uh, placement where it was at a case conference where there was uh, an, an individual who had hoarding disorder. And I remember one of the, this always stood out in my mind, this individual saved all of the cat whiskers that fell from the cat too, down to even that level wow. in case he would ever need to use them for painting his car. Uh, for detailing is was the reason that I gave, and uh, that was one individual who, like you just described, whose home was just really not safe. Uh, so it was a lot of problem solving at the case conference of, well, what can we do immediately to help get this person into a position where they're not going to lose their home? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? so it it is uh, it, for some folks very impairing. So. Yeah, um, one of the key things I we should say too is that it this behavior can't be attributable to other mental mm -hmm. health problems or brain injury mm -hmm. or some kind of other thing. So what, for example, are some of the other... This is one of the things that I, on the TV show, hoarding of that. I haven't seen all of it, but some of the episodes I've seen, it does seem like people get to hoarding through other... It looks like hoarding, but it's not necessarily sure. disorder. So maybe we should mention, what are some of the other things that can have people in a place huh. where it looks like they're hoarding? Sure. One thing that comes to mind quickly is a major depressive disorder, where you might have someone who's just has such a low energy, low motivation state that maybe things just aren't getting cleaned up. They're not able to have the energy to get up and get the garbage out to get the dishes done. So just their home could kind of maybe look like there's a hoarding situation going on. You can kind of see some of the overlap in that as one example. Other things like obsessive compulsive disorder or psychotic disorders uh just depending on the specific presentation could also you could you could see them coming off uh or up uh exhibiting similar uh patterns of behavior as well so yeah so if someone for example has a, some psychotic symptoms where psych psychosis is really defined as not being able to tell reality from mm -hmm. unreality yeah truth from fiction mm -hmm. And so one potential way might be if someone has a delusion, a belief that it, that is not true, that they can find a secret message through collecting cereal boxes. So the main thing driving their behavior is that they have a huge collection of cereal boxes, and it might be so huge, and I'm completely making this up, yep. but it could be so huge that they're, they can't sit at their table and eat, or they can't use their bathroom because they now... They save all of their cereal boxes and they get cereal boxes that are discarded because their plan is to go through them and decode a secret message. Well, it does look like hoarding and that mm -hmm. it can be congestive and cluttering and they might, um, and they could be distressed about letting it go. But what's driving it is another mental disorder, which might better explain, and you would treat someone differently mm -hmm. if it's driven by low energy and major depressive disorder or if it's a psychotic disorder or if they have some kind of specific obsession and compulsion that is leading to the hoarding. And we already mentioned um, Batman, but he's someone who has symptoms of obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, 
And sometimes hoarding can be a symptom within mm -hmm. a larger pattern of personality that has to do with um, a lot of different things, but rigidity among other things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where it gets really important as mental health professionals that you're really taking the time to do a thorough diagnostic assessment, uh, which we've talked about that process in previous episodes and Nerd Night Talks, uh, which are on YouTube if you ever want to check those out, uh, to make sure that you're matching up the best possible treatment for the specific disorder that the person is having. Because if you were trying to treat a hoarding disorder when the person actually had a major depressive disorder, you're not giving them the most empirically supported intervention for the uh, disorder or, or the impairment that they're facing. Yes. Yeah. For example, someone who is suffering from depression, they might not want their home to be cluttered and congested, but because of how low energy they are, it's hard for them to change that. And that's a different approach than what you would go through with someone who's unwilling to let go mm -hmm. of the mess that's accumulating around their apartment or just the things that are accumulating around them. Absolutely. Even though on the surface it might look the same, uh, underlying there's a, a lot different uh, processes and mechanisms going on. So mm -hmm. really dictates the treatment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should we talk a little bit about prevalence rates, maybe? And sure. then uh, start jumping into, or treatment, I guess. Yeah, I almost skipped over treatment. That would have been a, a disappointing <laughs> thing to, to omit. Uh, so I pulled this out of the DSM-2. So there's some community samples uh, just looking at prevalence rates for hoarding disorder that suggests that uh, it occurs somewhere between 2 and 6% in those community samples. And what that means is those are sort of smaller base samples where you might just generalize that. They don't have any nationwide data uh, taking a look at the prevalence rates for hoarding disorder. So that's what we know about community samples. And part of that is because it's relatively new that it's recognized oh, yeah. as a disorder. It was kind of something that was looked at for further study before being moved into DSM-5. So I expect that we'll have better data and those samples we should mention are in the U.S. and Europe, but yes. there are some suggestions that in other parts of the world that hoarding is kind of a phenomenon that you see around the world, yeah. even if the specifics might be a little bit different dependent on culture. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. I sort of skipped over that in my notes. Hoarding disorder is a new uh, disorder to DSM-5 to, to be specifically identified as its own disorder mm -hmm. and not uh, be a symptom or, or subsumed under a different disorder. Yeah, so that did we say that already? I can't remember. We talked we've, a little bit about it, but maybe not as directly. Now. Sure. Okay. So, yes. And then uh, there's also some evidence that may, it might be more prevalent among older adults, like age 55 to 94, as opposed to younger adults. Uh, that's just a couple of the kind of the key things, uh, prevalence rate things that I pulled out of the DSM. That's right. And it's interesting because apparently in community samples with limited data, we'll mm -hmm. have more information on this. It appears to be more common among males than mm -hmm. females, but among clinical samples, mm -hmm. it seems that women are more likely to present for treatment. It's really interesting, yeah. isn't it? I I thought about that for a little bit, and I couldn't think of why that might be. Just a quick hypothesis to sort of suggest or explain why that might be. I'm not sure, but there was some mention, and I don't want to go too far with this because it's preliminary now, yes. but there was some suggestion that within individuals who hoard, there are is about 80 to 90% of them display what's called excessive acquisition. They keep getting more stuff. It's not just that they aren't discarding things, but that can sometimes include excessive buying. And there was some possible suggestion that that symptom might be slightly more common among women. And I just wonder if that leads people to the point where they seek help faster, like sure. if it's causing financial problems or it might seem more obvious that it's a problem but that's that's really speculation it's not really clear that that's why it is and there could be a lot of different reasons some there are other areas in mental health that suggest that sometimes 
there are more barriers to men seeking treatment, perhaps more stigma attached to it and, and things like that. But it's something to understand a little bit more in the future. Yeah, when the DSM-6 comes out, we'll uh, revisit Hormone Disorder. Exactly. And you can check back then for an update on the research. Exactly. Uh, so that's kind of all I had uh, in for prevalence rates. Did you have anything else you want to say about that before we jumped uh, into treatment, Katie? I just want to read this this exact group of sentences from sure. the DSM because it gets to the original question oh, that, yes. that this episode was suggested, which, which is um, J.K. Law. I remember highlighting how important it would be for us to skip it anyway. <laughs> it's good. We have two working on this. Hoarding disorder contrasts with normal collecting behavior. This is straight from the DSM-5, which is organized and systematic, even if in some cases the actual amount of possessions may be similar to the amount accumulated by individuals with hoarding disorder. So you might look at it and say, hey, they have just as much stuff, the collector versus someone who's hoarding. But normative collecting does not produce clutter, distress, or impairment typical of hoarding disorder. So if you're collecting stuff, you're not distressed, you're not impaired, it's not interfering with your functioning, and either financially or otherwise obstructing your ability to live in a sanitary area or cook or in other things like that, then it's not considered a mental health problem, mm -hmm. right? And so there can be a lot of fine lines, but what we tend to look at is a more conservative approach before calling it a mental disorder. And that's why a lot of these symptoms talk about at the extreme levels of hoarding or collecting. That doesn't mean that you might not personally evaluate, like Brandon said, I'm going to move soon or I want less clutter, so I'm going to stop collecting this type mm -hmm. of thing until this point. Or I might say, in my budget this month, I can't afford as many comics. That's all fine, but the point is to get to the level where it's considered a clinical level of hoarding. It's There has to be pretty significant problems mm -hmm. going on. And... It looks very different than collecting. And I, I guess one thing I should we should maybe mention, just because it sometimes was in hoarders and other stuff, is that there seems to be a separate phenomenon of animal hoarding. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same kind of phenomenon, but in those cases, that's when people accumulate a large number of animals and don't provide the minimal standards of nutrition, sanitation, or veterinary care for them. And that can harm the animals, including disease, starvation, and death. And... Individuals who hoard animals as compared to other things tend to live in more dangerous or unsanitary conditions for obvious reasons. Yes. Not, yeah. So those are the main features, yeah. I would say. I mean, I guess what causes hoarding a lot, we need to look at this a lot more, but there does seem to be a genetic factor where people... Half of people who have hoarding disorders say that they have a relative who also hoards. That's pretty high oh, yeah. level, so it does seem like there is a big genetic component to it. There also seems to be a particular individual characteristic of indecisiveness. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of uh, some of the maybe more nature stuff. If we look at the nurture stuff, individuals who hoard often retrospectively report, so it's not clear if they're remembering exactly right, but they often link a stressor to triggering the hoarding as well. Yeah. Yeah, a lot left to learn there, but that's just some of the kind of the, the stuff that we understand and how we conceptualize the disorder and how it comes to be or what causes it now. 
Should we dive in on some of that treatment stuff? Sure. So uh, just like with some of the research, the same with the treatment. So we often reference the uh, APA Division 12 website, which is such a wonderful resource where you can go through and look at the various treatments uh, that um, that are identified for specific order disorders. But, of course, they don't have a section specifically for hoarding disorder uh, just because it is, of course, so new. So that's one of those ones where we need to dig in and take a look at some of the specific mechanisms that are going on and, and test some of these treatments and have those varying levels that we've talked about previously of empirical support and see what's really the best option. And uh, and just to clarify, mm. the disorder isn't isn't particularly new. It's just that oh, being yes. recognized as a, as a major disorder is relatively new. So people would have these problems and, you know, present for treatment and people would try treatment. But when something's formally recognized as a disorder, it tends to get more of tension of high level things like clinical trials to see what treatment is the most, is the most effective. Yeah, absolutely. The problem, uh, hoarding disorders didn't come into be uh, mm-hmm. in 2013. But, That's when but naming it as yes. a separate thing. And so that one of the reasons, one of the functions of the DSM is that it can facilitate treatment on it because if you've named something and you know that it means the same thing across different research facilities that you might be able to then you can compare research yeah in terms of treatment stuff thank you for the correction that would have been a huge piece of misinformation no 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 (laughs) no just to clarify no i i i i think people know what you meant but just to be clear I I would be very disappointed if I was quoted someday in saying that hoarding disorder was just occurring now. <laughs> uh, so some of the treatment I think... And to be oh. fair, it might have changed over time for mm-hmm. sure. I just oh. imagine there are some people, and the form of it, there's suggestion that it's impacted by culture. But, but anyway, just to be more specific. Yes. So one thing I did dig in a little mm-hmm. bit, and one thing I did find, I found a treatment manual that was specifically for hoarding disorder. The treatment manual was uh, rooted in cognitive behavior therapy. It claimed to have empirical support for hoarding disorder. Uh, I didn't look up any of their search, so I can't uh, speak to whether or not that was true or not, uh, if exactly what that manual outlined uh, had it. But that was one thing I did see. Yeah, it seems because it is thought to have some similarities with obsessive-compulsive disorder, which we did other episodes on mm-hmm. and are worth checking out for more information on it. But it does seem to have the idea that people have these thoughts that if they let go of the things that they're hoarding, even if it's causing a lot of distress and impairment, you know, another thing hoarding can cause is a lot of family conflict um, over getting, trying to get rid of items. And that's very difficult. And so some of the underlying thoughts, when you look at it, can have some similarities to obsessive-compulsive disorder. So often people, as we talked about in our obsessive-compulsive disorder, try to identify the thoughts. What is this person thinking is going to happen if they don't save this expired yogurt Mm -hmm. that's been expired for five years? And sometimes you get a thought like, I'm going to be a wasteful person, or you might thought, I might need to have it someday because I won't have access to other food. You can kind of get at it and then use in cognitive behavioral therapy, evaluate the likelihood of that statement. And there's another part that involves exposure, which is asking people to remove items and kind of deal with the distress that they have, knowing that it should decrease. You can also teach people ways to cope with their uncomfortable feelings when you get rid of things. Often in hoarders, it's very dramatic where they have someone come in who kind of just... Sometimes they'll go, they have a, like a variety of people that come in. Sometimes they're more like therapists, cognitive behavioral therapists, who will t- 
try to take something that is of no value and maybe occluding some area. Sure. And they'll deal in the moment with what are you thinking right now? How can we look at the evidence for and against that? And then they remove it and then they teach them how to cope with it. Might be through um, breathing or reframing or just kind of waiting it out until it subsides. There are other people who just basically go and they clean the whole place up. And hope that it stays that way. Okay. So there's kind of a variety of approaches. The point is that there is help available, but in terms of knowing for sure what works the best, we need more research on that. There are also some individuals that find being prescribed medications help. And as I mentioned, there's a high comorbidity or co-occurrence with anxiety and depression. And so treating some of those things can sometimes help with these issues. But the point is that because it does tend to cause a lot of conflicts in families, it's really helpful when available to get professional help with dealing with these big issues because otherwise it can cause even more conflict and difficulty within the family and can be really hard on people. Oh, absolutely. Um, All right. I think that is a fairly complete picture of uh, what hoarding disorder sort of looks like, what kind of causes it, and what what we know about treatment, at least for it right now. Uh, how do you feel about jumping in on some of the characters? That sure. We had some suggestions on Twitter, but I even did like a little Googling too, and I don't think there's a lot in the way of uh, specific or intentional de- fictional depictions of hoarding disorder. Yeah, so maybe we could just pick a couple that of the main good. ones. I think that someone had suggested... Parks and Rec, which yes. you also had suggested, and I am not familiar. I have seen the show, but sure. I haven't watched as as much to know the nuances okay. of. Yeah, so our, maybe you could talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, at Celebrate We Will uh, on Twitter tweeted at us, which we always love getting those character mm-hmm. suggestions, and su- said, you know, maybe Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. So I, I, I did recall that, and I couldn't remember specifically uh, – how in-depth that sort of went, because it is it's sort of a quick thing, I think. I know it's referenced in the episode. It's season two, episode 14. The episode is called Leslie's House. And I don't know if it actually is ever referenced again. It's never depicted again. And if it's referenced again, it's very infrequently, if ever. Uh, but basically, the quick summary of the episode is is that Leslie's trying to throw this dinner party to impress the this guy who she's dating that she met through her friend Anne. And she invites Anne over to maybe help her sort of clean up the house uh, before the dinner party. And Anne arrives, and, and the, or Leslie's house is it's similar, I think, and was meant to be depict what you might see from the show Hoarders, which, admittedly, I don't think I've ever seen, or if I have, it's only a couple episodes. But, like, stacks of newspaper is sort of up to your head all over the place and and uh just garbage boxes newspapers all sorts of stuff uh, multiple burn houses um and uh so Anne's like yeah so I'm, i can't believe you never invited me over and then she walks in and says oh okay well i guess i understand now and uh lizzie says yeah it's a little messy but i have a system and uh Anne picks up a newspaper and says this newspaper is from 1986 and Lee says, oh yeah that's the first rumblings of the iran contra don't throw that out and there's another part where uh, Anne picks up a birdhouse and says, why do you need this birdhouse? And uh, Lee said, well, what if a bird comes and I need to give it a home? And then Anne picks up a second birdhouse and says, why do you need two birdhouses? And Lee said, well, what if the bird has a friend? And that's kind of really it. After that, the scene cuts and they come okay. back. And, and a prof- uh, some professional has come and cleaned the whole place up uh, after that, I think. Okay. So it's really quick, uh, but just stacks of stuff is kind of what it depicts. And, I, and like I said, I'm not sure if it's ever referenced again in the show. Huh. Well, that's that's interesting. It, it's sort of out of nowhere. It's a little random because yeah. it's very much uh, not that hoarding disorder can't impact anyone, but it's, it, 
it's not really a part of the characterization of Leslie in any way. Um, so I don't know. It seemed a little out of, uh, just out of left field a bit for yeah. me. I, re- I remember that. So, but there's not really a ton more to say about it, really, because it, it really is only for like a minute or two on the screen. So, and it might, it does make me think it's worth emphasizing again. So, a couple of birdhouses, unless they're very special, probably don't have much value. Most things that you're collecting have value. Yeah. Sometimes individuals who have hoarding disorder perceive a value when there isn't, like keeping expired food or keeping. A plastic fork they use because they might need it again one time. And again, the point is that with collectible, like, geek items or any kind of collectible thing, kind of systematically getting it, it objectively has value. So that makes it different than the mm-hmm. idea of, you know, just in case I ever need this paper towel, I'm going to keep it even though it's like I now have a huge stack and it's making it so mm-hmm. I can't use my kitchen. But it is possible, even if things are of value, for it to reach... A problematic level mm-hmm. if it is congestive cluttering mm-hmm. extreme distress or impairment but uh, you know with hoarding sometimes it's stuff that really just doesn't have any objective mm-hmm. value yeah absolutely so that's one in the only that stood on my mind intentional fictional depiction of hoarding disorder yeah um hmm. another we had a few other characters who were suggested uh Unfortunately, all of them were characters that I weren't. Well, I'm not terribly familiar with, and and also, unfortunately, we only have so much time to consume so much media to prepare for episodes. <laughs> so, you already uh, talked about the Little Mermaid, who was suggested as too by another uh, person who tweeted at us. Yeah, she definitely has in terms of she picks up discarded stuff that's of it's of sentimental value to mm-hmm. her. It's probably not objectively of much value, but again, it's it's not in a way that is causing her harm because of the clutter or something like that so it does resemble it in that it's a lot of possessions Mm -hmm. you know yeah that's interesting so uh, do you have any other fictional characters that you'd maybe like to speculate about otherwise i thought maybe we could take a minute and actually talk about the hoarders tv show sure that's referenced okay so uh like i mentioned i actually if i have seen it i have no recollection of it because i didn't see it very much but the hoarders tv show i looked up and read a little bit about it and uh, so, of course, uh, this obviously, but just in case folks aren't familiar, it's not a fictional show. It's a reality television show, uh, certainly a part of popular culture. Uh, from what I read, it was the season pre- or series premiere of it was like the most watched show on a history, like 2.5 million viewers. It won a Critics' Choice Award. Uh, so apparently a lot of people watch the show. And uh, please correct me if I'm wrong on the premise, but the idea is every episode has one or two individuals where either uh, like a mental health professional or a professional cleaner of some kind or sometimes both come in and maybe family members, they sort of direct the, the individual who's struggling with hoarding disorder and family members and help them kind of process it and get their house cleaned up again. Is that kind of right? It is. I would say that they're, they don't all have hoarding disorder sure. in my estimation. Okay. I think some of them are individuals that have more psychotic or depression or okay. or actually other types of things going on. So they definitely all have a hoarding behavior. Okay. But it does seem like there's a variety of differences in terms of what's driving that. I don't know that that's really well recognized on the show. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I've seen... I've probably seen, I would estimate, five, ten episodes or something like that. Maybe a few more than that. So I've I've seen a reasonable number of them. And maybe in the newer ones or something, they they talk about it more. And I think that, in a way, it's good because they often do present people compassionately. But at the same time, it's 
often embarrassing for the individuals. I mean, they do sign waivers and stuff like that, but, you know, a lot of people now know, a lot of them hide the conditions of their homes. Like, they work jobs, and people would never suspect that they have these problems, and it's very shameful. So it's hard for me to kind of square, in one way it's good that it it raises awareness, it can of evidence-based therapy, because sometimes they do have very competent therapists on there. But at the same time, when you have a TV show and you're trying to get people to watch, you're looking to capture things people want to watch that are dramatic, right, Mm -hmm. and that are um, pull at your heartstrings or that are conflictual. And sometimes that agenda can be different than... Well, it's certainly different than when you're in therapy with someone right. and you're trying to help people out. And no ratings there. Yeah, exactly. So you're not going to, you know, purposely draw to certain kinds of conflict and drama. So I actually feel myself, uh, I have mixed feelings about sure. it. And that I think that in some ways it can raise awareness and help. But at the same time, for those individuals that are on it, you know, now everyone also can know forever that they struggled with these right. things. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But depending on what happens on the show, they might not want that mm-hmm. at a later point. So it's, I don't know, I'm I'm pretty torn on it. It's funny that you say that. That mirrors almost exactly uh, something I read online. So I wanted to look, because not having any uh, familiarity with the show, I wanted to see what other folks sort of thought about it. And I, 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 Dr. Sanjayas uh, Saxena, who is... I, I pulled this out of a different article. I was kind of reading about the show. And uh, what they said about it, who, and the, uh, this is the uh, director of the University of California, San Diego's Obsessive Compulsive Disorders Program, said, The reality shows have raised awareness, but they tend to sensationalize the patients, and they rarely talk about the treatment. And not having seen the show, that sort of at least gave me the impression of exactly what you said, that, yeah, maybe it's doing a nice job. More people are familiar with the disorder now, but maybe they're pulling into some of that drama more to try to get the ratings or, or get the clicks or whatever. It's so. a tough call, though, because a lot more people are watching that than are looking up journal articles yeah. on cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's, it's you know, it's it's a tough call. Are you saying that journal articles on CBT aren't getting 2.5 million uh, viewers I don't think on so. premiere night? I mean, I think having academics tweet stuff out helps a little bit, hopefully mm. podcasts, but... yeah. Not quite like the pool of that show. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And at least, uh, so you said that there are, at least sometimes, and based on your recollection of the show, there are competent uh, depictions of therapists on it. So that sounds yeah, promising. There are, and sometimes it doesn't even seem clear that there is a therapist. Sometimes it is really like they have someone in the main focus is they clean up something and then they follow up to find out how the person did. So there's definitely variability in that. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I might have to take a look at it just so I can uh, at least It used see to be it. on Netflix. I don't know okay. if it still is, but you can see several of the videos on their website. Oh, sure. Yeah, I should take a look at that. I would be really curious because uh, as we know and as we've talked about before, those kind of depictions, uh, because people do get their information yeah. from shows like that. And I, so. use, I do use the, um, for teaching purposes, mm-hmm. I do sometimes use clips from their show. Although, I, and I, that's another thing, a lot of students have already seen it because it is such a oh, popular okay. show. So to me, it's just important that the mental health professionals, like we try to do, comment on them and kind of yeah. answer questions re- related to it. That's interesting. I don't think it's on the air anymore now, finally. Okay. I think it's actually off the air okay. now, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, I haven't had like actual live TV in several years, so sometimes I have a hard time keeping up with <laughs> what's actually on TV and not. So yeah, a good episode that we just had. <laughs> 
<laughs> commenting on our own work. No. <laughs> I, 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 that's kind of all the notes I prepared. We had a couple of, of questions asked on Facebook. I think we sort of indirectly kind of got to some of them, though, uh, throughout the episode. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else, any closing notes that you that you want to touch on? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the main questions, the two of the main themes of the mm-hmm. questions, to just quickly say, one of them sure. is, is there evidence that hoarding can overlap with certain other mental disorders, right. like, for example, autism or something like that? I didn't find any definitive research on that, but as we talked about, there's a lot more research out there. As Brandon said before, it's just really important to do a good diagnostic assessment to figure out what is driving the behaviors that you're seeing so that there's appropriate treatment fitted to that. So I don't know about other disorders, but there does seem to be elevated rate, as I mentioned, of anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. and hoarding. So those are particular things to look for. Other stuff, I'm not sure if people observe things. I think at this point it's it's speculative. Mm -hmm. The other thing is how to help people who struggle with hoarding and how to not reinforce their behaviors that might be harmful. For that, I suggest getting professional help. If the person who is hoarding is unwilling to go, it can still be helpful for family members or friends to go to learn how to cope with understanding like how much you have power over and how much you don't, like what you have control over and how you might best support someone. It's important to empathize with them. A lot of the times this stuff is not willful. People kind of might look at them like, why don't you just get rid of the stuff? Mm -hmm. It's so easy. Well, it's not easy. That's the whole reason Mm -hmm. that it's, it's, considered a disorder if it was they just get rid of all their stuff there's some kind of other thing going on there Um, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be concerned about your own well-being and how it impacts you especially if you're sharing a living space and so that's why i think getting professional help in terms of where to draw boundaries or not contribute or what you might do to support someone while they are making sure that you live in a healthy area that's that's really important to do yeah absolutely um those are you hit all of our, our Facebook questions perfectly. I have nothing to add to that. That was really, really well said. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, I think that really wraps up kind of everything I had in mind to cover. Sure. So, of course, a, a quick we had a quick overview of what the disorder sort of looked like, uh, some of the prevalence rates, some of the kind of that other, other relevant information, some of the treatment, and uh, not a ton on fictional characters just because there's not a lot out there, which is kind of unusual. Oftentimes we have kind of a... a a number of characters to choose from but that really wasn't the case for this disorder um i don't know why that is um but anyway we talked a little bit about the tv show hoarders so we had something to talk about at least in the pop culture realm um that's kind of all i've got for today i uh, just want to say thanks for everyone who who continues to tune in and listen we really appreciate that and uh, all the folks are always willing to engage with us on facebook twitter that's always a treat and uh, just let us know what or who, uh, in terms of fictional characters, you'd like to hear us talk about next. You can check out the blog and podcast and everything else at www.jedi-council.com. Uh, if you're enjoying what you hear, um, please feel free to leave a review. We always appreciate that. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast or the new uh, potential Rick and Morty podcast, check out our Patreon page. Uh, there's some cool rewards for, for becoming patrons on there. That's, that's my closing segment. Anything else, Katie? Just thank you all very much, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Absolutely. As always, thanks so much for listening. You'll hear from us next week.